Well, welcome back to the Someone to Tell To podcast. It is so good to have you join us today. It's been a couple of weeks and we are both sorry about that because we, we hate missing uh, having a routine and a, a set schedule. But on the other hand, we've had a couple of weeks off, which I think is really good for, for both of our hearts and our spirits. And hopefully for you too, to take a deep breath, maybe catch up on some of our previous episodes. But again, we're just grateful to have you here with us today. Today's going to be a very different kind of episode, but it's one we're, we've really been looking forward to and and hope that you will enjoy it too. We, first of all, we will be celebrating, someone to tell it to, we'll be celebrating our 10th anniversary hmm. this coming January 1st. And we've begun the process of really reflecting on and thinking about the, the past nine and a half or you know approaching 10 years of some of the tell it to some of the the things that have brought great joy and wonder to our lives and hearts and some of the things that, that created great fear and doubt and concern for us um, so we, we're going to talk about some of those things today just a conversation between tom and myself about what these last 10 years have been and in fact probably a little more on even before the, the, the these 10 years began and some of the things that that led to uh, someone tell, to tell it to his beginnings and uh, that's brought us to where we are today. Yeah, for those of you tuning in today and who tune in regularly, welcome back. Um, you know that we are, we call ourselves podcast junkies. We are all the time listening to podcasts. We talk about podcasts all the time. We promote other people's podcasts. We have other podcast guests and hosts on our program, but um, we, we just love so many different podcasts. And one of our favorites is a program on national public radio here in the United States called How I Built This. And this episode is going to be similar in nature, where the host Guy Raz just pretty much just takes time with entrepreneurs, hearing their stories of both the joys and the sorrows and the tribulations and everything in between and um and it's just going to be good to be able to do some extra reflecting today we hope you find meaning in it in your journey and in your story to find some hope and encouragement and uh this is going to be fun we're looking forward to this and um one of the things that that we've enjoyed about listening to the podcast how how they built this is that um we realize that we're not alone. I mean, there've been so many, you know, stories that we could tell where it looks like we, you know, our experiences are just crazy and, and no one else has these kinds of experiences. No one else started from the very humble beginnings that we believe we started from with someone to tell it to. And we realized that so many others started from very humble beginnings too, and um, have grown tremendously in spite of, or despite those those humble beginnings and and so you know we're going to talk about ours and uh what led us to where we are today so um first thing i'm going to do is ask tom uh could you describe what it was like when someone to tell it to began where were we what was asked what um what were we doing that led us to where we are today it's done something that I've done an awful lot of reflecting on both personally and professionally, because it was such a pivotal time in my life. 
I was young in so many ways. I I'm encroaching upon my 40th birthday this year in just a couple months. And, and so, you know, I'm kind of in that midlife range. Um, I'd say God willing. And, uh, I've done, you know, just some reflecting on some of those younger years and, and some of the maturity that had happened. So for those of you who have read some of our books and, and maybe for those of you who haven't, we often say in a lot of the talks that we've given over the years that someone to tell to is essentially birthed out of immense pain and brokenness, particularly for me and my story. I was right out of grad school serving in a position and, and both Michael and I are, are trained pastors and I was serving in my first position at a church out of, out of grad school. And the, the position just was not a good match for me and my personality. I, I think I've likened it in some of our other episodes to someone once told me that you're like a, a cheetah attached to a, to a plow here at this church. I'm just kind of a go-getter by nature. I'm an entrepreneur. I have an entre- entrepreneurial spirit. I am a hard worker and I love to surround myself with other people who have kind of a similar way of being, but I also like to have others in my life too, who provide a sense of balance and uh, can kind of remind me to slow down and take a deep breath. I just, um, you know, am forever grateful to my connection with Michael. And so even though this first position out of grad school was not a good match for me, and there was a lot of pain and, and suffering involved, uh, I got to meet Michael. And I've often said in a lot of the talks and in the writing that I would go through all of that pain and sorrow again to have met Michael, because our friendship is something profound. It's something unique. Talk about another podcast that we recently listened to. It's another favorite program of ours called On Being. And we listen to it, both of us, I think it generally happens on Sunday mornings. It's kind of a a Sabbath for us to become part of our Sabbath routine. And one of the most recent episodes on on being was um, an energe- uh, uh, the, the whole discussion was about intergenerational friendships and an, an older woman who's the host, Krista Tippett was interviewing a younger woman in her maybe forties and how they just have this sacred friendship, just like you and I do, Michael. You don't need to say who's the older, who's the younger, <laughs> let them guess for themselves. Um, <laughs> well, they can see on the photo. So, <laughs> Even amidst that, that difficult situation, we just thank God that God brought us together. Um, it's, been a, it's been quite a journey. I think it's important for, for those who are listening to know that prior to starting someone to tell it to, we just had a really deep, intimate friendship. And yes, there is a little bit of an age gap, but that's just never been something we even think about or even talk about a whole lot. Um, It's just something that uh, has not been really an issue at all. The only thing that it has done is provided me with a sense of gratitude because Michael is a little older, there's a little bit more wisdom and experience in life. And, And again, talking about my sense of drive in life. Michael just provides such a wonderful balance for me of helping me, you know, the metaphorically speaking to take a deep breath and, uh, you know, to stop and smell the roses sometimes, which is not easy for me to do. When I say that our friendship was birthed out of pain, I was just in a season of my life where I was not secure in who I am. And I know insecurity is something that a lot of us deal with throughout our lives. And I still have moments, um, but I just, I didn't know who I was. 
and what ultimately I have to offer the world that is unique to me. I'm not wired to be a public speaker like Michael is. He's just in his wheelhouse when he's up front. It takes a little bit more encouragement on my part to do it. Uh, I've done enough of it over the years now where we've done a lot of radio and TV and preaching in churches to speaking in front of large audiences that I do it, but it's not, it just is not natural for me. And so I think back to some of those instances where I was put in a position that was very uncomfortable for me and having someone like Michael just be my cheerleader, who was just always in my corner, rooting for me, reminding me that I am worthy, that I can do it. And then even in instances where maybe I wasn't as successful, and I hate to even use that word because it sounds such a worldly word, fruitful maybe is a better word than I, I would like to have been in that moment. He was there to just, again, stand with me and, and support me and, and just um, you know remind me that I do have something of value to offer the world that is unique to me. And so I think you know, there's four or five simple words that we've used. In fact, in our very first podcast episode, we reference it. It's the tattoo matching tattoos that we have on uh, certain parts of our body. I won't say where Michael's is, but mine's on my arm and mine says, I'm proud of you. And it's in the late Fred Rogers handwriting. That ultimately is what Michael has done for me consistently is just to remind me that no matter what other people might think of me, he's always going to be proud of me. And over time, hearing those words and steeping myself in those words has given me confidence. And that's the kind of message here at Someone to Tell to You that we just want to keep giving the world is that we all need to know, especially when we feel insecure about anything, that we, we have others who will stand in our corner cheering us on who are proud of who we are. I don't think it matters how old we are. Mm. Um, we all want to know that there are those who are proud of us for who we are, what we are, what we do, how we do it. And uh, Tom and I have, I think, made a commitment to one another that we will, we continually remind one another that we are proud of, of, of the other. And especially in moments that are tough, moments that are uh, tense, moments that uh, create doubt in us about uh, what we're doing or, or who we actually are as human beings. And to be reminded and to have one another in each other's corners um, really does mean a lot. Yeah, so I'd, I'd love to kind of pivot a little bit to ask you a question and it's just okay. essentially rifting off what we've already talked about. And I think it was mentioned in our very first episode with our dear friend, Tim Madigan, who initially, his book spoke to us more than any other book. And it was called, I'm proud of you, my friendship with Fred Rogers. And in that episode, if I'm remembering correctly, Tim used one of Fred's most famous quotes. And Fred would always say that which is most personal is most universal. I'd love for you just to talk about what that means. I actually remember an actual day and time and place where, where I think our relationship took a much deeper um, dive uh, in a good way than it ever had before. I mean, we originally that I was um, I, I was asked to serve as a mentor to Tom and to, to help him uh, 
well, to acclimate him to the church in which um, he was employed. And God, God bless you. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it immediately, it didn't take, but I don't know, a, a, a time or two to, to be together with one another. We realized that this guy's, a, this, this guy's really great. And I really liked him. I really like you. And I like your, your, your sense of humor. And the more I got to know about you, your irreverence, and the more I, I got to see and hear about your compassion, your, your empathy, your, your great listening skills, your abilities that you didn't, I don't think you thought you had, but, but I thought were there and, and are there. And, and, and after, and, and over the last 10 years, but actually it's been more than a dozen years that, that we've known one another over these, these dozen or more years, you know, I've just seen that over and over again. And we spent a lot of time with one another, you know, in the early years, this is before someone to tell it to started just, you know, we, we would read books together. We would do a lot of walking together. We would have lunch or dinner together. We, it's a lot of time and, and our conversations always went, went, went very deep. And we had started this, tradition. We didn't know we were starting it. But um, I'm not even sure exactly what year it was. But it was more than 10 years ago. We on December 23rd got together in the evening to celebrate Christmas with one another. Uh, we'd be spending Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and, and much of the week after, uh, after Christmas Day, you know, with our families doing doing family things. But we, you know, there was already there's this bond that we, you know, wanted to celebrate the holiday together, realizing that Christmas was just absolutely a favorite holiday of ours. And we loved the season, loved the music, loved everything about it. And we wanted to share in that together. So I live in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Tom was living right nearby in the next town over, Hummelstown, at, at, at that time. And we decided to go to the, the, the fanciest place in Hershey, which was the Hotel Hershey, very expensive place where they have a, have a room called the Iberian Lounge that's kind of dark and wood paneled. And this old fashioned, you know, 1930s sort of decor, very beautiful and timeless with a huge uh, stone fireplace. And they had two chairs that were seated in in front of the fireplace. That actually that day we didn't get to that night we didn't get to sit in. We had to sit at a table across the room uh, from it in a corner, where we just I don't know the conversation took a deeper turn, a more a more intimate turn. And 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 the one thing that Tom is is brilliant as at and fearless at. <laughs> Uh, here you go. <laughs> is asking questions that <laughs> no one else would ask sometimes <laughs> that, that actually lead to amazing conversations. And I think he, he asked, you know, or, or several of those questions. And, and I just remember leaving that evening thinking this, this, I really like this guy uh, very, very much. And realized that there, there was a, an even greater depth and an even greater willingness to be vulnerable and open, uh, that I had actually, I mean, never seen in, in almost anybody else before any other, any other male before. And that was, uh, that was pretty impressive. And I think from there, uh, our, conver- our, our relationship with and friendship was cemented. It really was. And so now for every, uh, you know, for the last 10 or more years now, we have gone to the Hotel Hershey 
um, for uh, to the Iberian Lounge on December 23rd, either the evening or the afternoon of that day and spend several hours there. And what do we have? Uh, we have uh, their signature chocolate martinis. <laughs> and I've realized that I cannot have two of them. <laughs> one is sufficient and one is safe. <laughs> two are not. And um, Michael's a lightweight. I don't know what and, to say. So we go, we take gifts, you know, we open gifts together and, and usually we've sat in front of the fireplace in the, in the big chairs in front of the fireplace that's, that has a fire in it and can reflect, reflect there in the dim lit, dimly lit room and, you know, and have maybe a little something to eat, have, have these, these chocolate martinis and, and talk about the year going by, talk about what's been, what we've loved about it and sometimes talk about what we haven't. That's just been a sacred ritual that we've now done for probably a dozen years. Um, and even uh, we, we couldn't do it during COVID uh, last year, that Christmas 2020 on December 23rd, because the, the Iberian Lounge wasn't, wasn't open for that. So what, what we did, we, we found another place nearby. We went to bed and breakfast where we were friends with the owners and asked if there was nobody else be there that, that day, if we could have it for the day sat by their fireplace and um, took our own drinks and our own food. And, and, and again, just had another sacred conversation. We realized it didn't have to be at the same spot necessarily when we couldn't go there, but it was really not about the spot as much as it was certainly about the conversation and the reason for being there. So ah, that's just been, that's just been so special. And, and those, those nights, those afternoons, whenever we've been there to do that, have only solidified the relationship. But there have been, oh gosh, countless, countless, countless other, other moments, other afternoons, other evenings, other days, where we've um, ha also had similarly deep conversations and, and talked about life and talked about our fears and, and our passions and our, our insecurities and, and the things that just bring us great joy. And um, it's, it's been tremendous. And that's what led, that is what has helped someone to tell it to, to survive and be really begin to thrive these past 10 years. It's kept our relationship strong so that we can do this work. This is sometimes very hard work but together. I'm really glad that you referenced the December 23rd tradition, because I do believe that those conversations are indicative of what we care about most in life. And that's building strong relationships between ourselves, between our, our extended family members, between people that we don't even know that we want to know. And now with someone to tell it to with others that we call someone, everybody's someone who, who reach out to us. I'd like to talk a little bit about this phrase that which is most personal is most universal. How do you feel like those December 23rd conversations are indicative of the movement we're trying to create as someone to tell to? I think what Fred Rogers meant by that, by that phrase is that, again, you alluded to it earlier, Tom, we all can be insecure. We all um, experience loss. We all doubt we all are afraid sometimes. We all are just tired. And sometimes we all feel lonely. Uh, we, we worry. We are concerned about how to approach difficult things in our lives. 
they're just things like that, that, that often I think we, we think that nobody else feels this way, that nobody else experiences these things. And it's those deeply personal conversations that illuminate the fact that, yeah, I'm afraid sometimes, or yeah, I do this and I'm not proud of it. Or yeah, I do this and I'm okay with that. You know, um, I think there are things that the, the, those evenings, those afternoons that we've spent on December 23rd together have always had deep, deep conversations. And we talk about things that sometimes we don't talk about, we hardly talk about with anyone else. Sometimes they're very personal to us. Uh, sometimes they're very, you know, about very personal things in our, in our lives or in, in other people's lives that we love. And we realize that we can talk about those, those things in safety, that we're not going to be judged. We're not going to be uh, criticized. Uh, we're going to be accepted and loved and, and that we will be proud of one another no matter what. And I think that is really helpful. And the fact is, we all need that. That's what's universal. We all feel those things. We all need those things, those, those, those kinds of conversations that remind us we're not alone. And um, we all are, have so much more in common than we, than we have that separates us and makes us different from one another. I know in our first book, early on, we, we talked about this phrase that people have written to us over the years that I've never told anyone this before mm -hmm. yeah, and how much meaning and purpose that's given us. It also, I think early on was an affirmation that we were onto something special, mm -hmm. that we were creating something that was needed, that was lacking in the world. You know, we, we've said in a lot of our writing and speaking that there there's this epidemic of loneliness that someone to tell to is trying to eradicate because it's a real issue for so many of us. We've all been in places of loneliness. Yeah. And I think that we recognize that. And one of the things that we do with someone to tell it to is we try to find the common ground with, with an individual, no matter their age, no matter gender, no matter their belief system, their politics, their life experience, or no matter what they come to us to talk about, we try to see each individual person as, well, what they are, a human being, and realize that, that all human beings have a lot of these same feelings in one way or another. Maybe the circumstances are different, but the feelings are so much the same. And we, we recognize that and try to meet people where they are. And we found, because we've had the privilege, I mean, an absolute privilege of being, being able to talk with people, listen to people, we hope more than talk, from across this country, in state, from the East Coast to the West Coast, from the South to the, to the very North. We've, we've also interacted with people in, in more than a dozen countries around the world. Some of them, the culture is very different from ours, Muslim cultures, people who speak different languages. We even had one, one time we listened to somebody, uh, at that point it was via, via Skype from the country of Ukraine, where the person who needed to talk with us did not speak English, spoke only Ukrainian, and had his son by his side who did speak English, who interpreted for him. And 
we've also talked on the phone with and written multiple, multiple times back and forth to a man from Saudi Arabia who is, who is Muslim and uh, had lost three children very, at a very young age and as well as his father and was just, you know, bereft. At, at the losses that that he and his his wife and his family experienced and the fact that we could talk with these people from around the world and again across this country and some people who've had some very different experiences from what we've had very different problems from what we've we've had but we've been able to connect with them and so many of them have said I've never shared this with anyone else before and to 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 see them as people as as all of us together as just human beings who tr who just want to be loved who want to be accepted who want to be appreciated who want to know that others are proud of them we start from that place that's what's universal and it's what is most personal to all of us it's what all of us need what all of us want what's what's what it's what all of us thrive uh will thrive for thrive with when we know those things are true. Thank you for listening to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. Wonders Found Thrift Shop is proud to be one of its sponsors. Wonders Found is an all-volunteer-run thrift shop begun to support our mission team as they rebuild homes in disaster areas. We support local missions, people experiencing homelessness, veterans, and children and youth outreaches. We also provide clothing and household items to families displaced by fire or flood. You can learn more at our website, wondersfound.org, or stop in to see what wonders you can find at 7810 Allentown Boulevard, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. So we're encroaching upon 10 years now, and I know I've started to do a lot more reflecting on the past 10 years and some of the, the, high, the highest highs and the lowest of lows. It'd be fun. I think it'd be fun to spend some time inviting our listeners into our story and what, what, what that journey to look like. We'll be bluntly honest about this. When we started someone to tell it to, we had no money at all. We needed $500 in order to get our nonprofit status through the, uh, the, the federal government and the IRS. We didn't even have the $500 that we could personally spend between us uh, in order to get to, to send in the application to be accepted as a 501c3 nonprofit. We didn't even know what we were going to do about that. But there, there was a woman who I knew and who I had previously worked with who very graciously said to me, indicated to me that whatever I chose to do, she wanted to be supportive of it because of the work she had seen me do in counseling and listening to people with cancer and what she'd experienced and how she saw that it worked. So when we were studying someone to tell it to, went to her, not we weren't even asking for financial support. We were just asking for a friend, you know, for someone who was a friend to us just to 
hopefully maybe give us her blessing that this would be a good thing. And I introduced Tom to her because she had not known Tom before. And we went to her home, sat by in her dining room table and, and talked about our dream of starting to someone to tell, starting someone to tell it to, and talked about the things that we were working on that we needed to do to make this official. And, um, you know, we spent an hour or so with her and just sharing the dream. And she seemed, she seemed very supportive and very impressed. And we just thanked her for the time. And we left. We said, um, you know, just thanks for listening to us and for affirming in us that this could be a really good thing to do. And we literally walked out and got in the car and we're ready, started the car and we're ready to drive away. And we saw her run out of her house. And she got to the car, we put down the window, holding a checkbook in her hand. How much did you say you needed to uh, send in your application for the IRS? And we told her. And the next thing she did was write a check for $500 and say, here, you've started. And from there, it began. It was our first donation, our first donor. And um, we, we credit her and will always be eternally grateful for her, for her affirmation, for being proud of us, for taking this chance and doing this, and for writing that check. That very day, someone that Teletube was really launched when we could do that. And it enabled us to become official and then begin to begin to raise money and uh, to, to start this on the way. So that was the first thing that happened. And it was, I guess, if you look at signs, I was sure a sign of, of support and encouragement and reassurance to keep on going. Early on, we knew we wanted to, to write our first book. We had been active bloggers and had been putting blogs out for the better part of a year, we got in touch with a publisher that was interested in, in publishing our, our work. And they cost a lot of money, more than we had at that time. And one, one day in particular, I remember our bank account, as it has been many times, especially in the early years, down to almost nothing. And we had a huge payment that was due the next day. And it was for the book. Yeah, for the book. And it was I think around $500 and, and this couple came over to our, our house for dinner. And I remember saying to Michael, as we parted ways that day, that we're just not going to be able to publish this book. It's just not going to happen. And this couple left that evening, have, having written a check for $524 and 84 cents, which is almost the exact amount that we needed to publish the, the first book. And yeah, so we've just had so many of those moments where we've, We've just had to trust and, and really believe and have others believe in, in us and, and feel a part of what, what's happening. So fast forward a couple of years. And, and again, we were in a difficult spot financially. We, I don't even remember how much we were in need of, but it was, a, it was a lot of money. It was several thousand dollars. And it just so happens we had a board meeting that night and our board was having serious doubts if we were going to make it. And that was, that was difficult because it's one thing to have doubts among just the two of us or a couple of our staff members, how are we going to do this? But to have our own board really wrestling with whether or not this was something that was going to make it, uh, it was early in our journey. And 
I did come to the office that day. I arrived early and I had opened the mailbox and sure enough, there was just this huge check uh, for $20,000 that a donor, um, a couple, a young couple, uh, pair of millennials who just really believe in our cause and what the work that we're doing. And they've been faithful supporters all along. They uh, just have stepped up to the plate so many times over. And so they, they wrote us this check for $20,000 the man in the relationship, he, he's an engineer and he had built his own car and decided to sell it and to give all of the proceeds to someone to tell to is a Corvette that he had built from nothing. And uh, it was for $20,000. And he had written this long handwritten note to go along with it. And we read it that night at the board meeting and everybody was just in awe. Uh, it, it's good for all of us because it's, it's such a reminder that this mission, if it's meant to be, things are going to happen and fall into place as they're supposed to, but that requires a lot of trust. It also just, it helps to have the support that we need, you know, financially. Yes. But, but just the emotional support to have people who are just as believing in this as, as we are. Especially in the early days when, when the financial going was particularly hard as we were trying to establish ourselves, as we were trying to become known and, you know, grow the nonprofit and, and to reach out and, into the, the broader community. Those were tough. Those were tough uh, financially. In fact, Tom and I, the first year we did this, we took no salaries at all. We had to rely on, on our wives who were very, oh gosh, so gracious, so patient uh, with us because they believed too that what we were doing was what both of us were called to do, what were created to do. You know, they were willing to put up with the, with the, the difficult sacrifices as well. And the tension that came with some of those sacrifices and the concerns whether we could pay our bills or not. So we were very, very grateful for them, for Sarah and Kathy, who uh, just never wavered, always stood next to us, always supported us and encouraged us. And, um, we cannot thank them enough either for helping us and probably believing in us even when we didn't believe in ourselves. Uh, I would have no, no doubt about that. We share those stories because they, they, they were really pivotal for our survival and for our growth. And we're so grateful for those people who um, made those sacrifices themselves so that someone to tell it to could, could continue to take hold and help to change the hearts and the lives of people in our community and increasingly all around the world. Uh, so, uh, you know, those are just stories that we'll never, we, we can never forget. We just can't forget because they remind us of, 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 of what it takes, what it takes to, uh, to do something that in many ways is new. Uh, in many ways, it's revolutionary. In many ways, it's alien. We feel very led to do this because we believe it's the right thing to do and a good thing to do. Something that the world needs uh, very, very much. We've talked to, about a few stories already of individuals who've reached out for support. Could we talk maybe a little bit more about some specific examples of someone's who found hope and healing and restoration through our work? Oh, gosh, where do we start? We, <laughs> how much time do people have to listen? Mm. Uh, because the stories just go on and on and on. Early one happened. Uh, we were invited to be guests 
on our local public radio station, which is WITF in, her, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, there was a, a program, a morning program live called Radio Smart Talk. And they would interview people from the community and sometimes people from across the country and around the world uh, on, on issues that were important for the day. And we got ourselves booked on this program, which was the biggest, our first interview, not simply a print interview, but this one was live on air. And we were pretty nervous about this, about doing this. And we learned about that we were booked on it on a Friday afternoon on our way home, each going to our homes in different directions uh, after working that day. And that uh, we, we got, we got the, the word, got the call that we were going to be, they wanted us to be on the show Monday morning, nine o'clock. It's like, oh my gosh, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to say? Oh, no, this is real. I don't think we expected it would happen that quickly. And uh, so Monday morning came, but that Monday morning, it was pouring down, raining, and there were accidents all over the place. And, you know, and traffic was slowed and, and traffic jams because of the, the, the intense uh, torrential rains. And apparently the guests, the, there was going to be a guest before us, couldn't make it. And they had to, they had to, you know, they had to delay and, and we got bumped, we got bumped. Uh, and, and they asked us if we would come back to the studio. And, and in, in one hand, we were relieved. Like, good, we don't have to do this today. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it's like, oh, we have to go through all this nervousness another day. And they asked us to come back the next day, which we did. Anyway, um, after that sort of rough start, we um, were, were finally on air. And we had written a blog the week before about shame. And we're talking about how, how we tend to, as human beings, shame one another a lot for who we are, what we do, what we say, what we don't say or do. And we wrote about the need for people to maybe, well, not maybe, but to stop shaming one another and ourselves so much. Uh, the host of the, of the broadcast picked up on that blog and asked him some questions, questions about shame and what it means. And then the scariest part of the program is they open it up for callers to call in live and ask questions. And, and we did get some calls and, and, you know, and someone who kind of pushed back at us and wanted to know about, you know, well, what do we do about politicians who do bad things? Shouldn't we call them out? Shouldn't, shouldn't they be held accountable? And, and we said, yeah, I mean, that, 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 that we do need to be held accountable for things that we do wrong that hurt other people, especially, especially like that in the public square. But, uh, but we were there to talk more about, the, the, you know, just individuals in our, own, in our own lives and the way we interact with people and not trying to shame them or, 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 or make them feel guilt, make them feel bad for, for mistakes that they've made or things that they've done that maybe they could have done better. After the interview's over, we're all relieved. We get back to our computers and we had a message. The title of her email was self-hatred and shame. And she essentially wrote to us that that first day, I'm 68 years of age. I'm, you know, knocking on the doorstep of the end of my life potentially. And I'm living with a lot of regrets. Would you listen to my story? I've been searching my whole life for people I could tell it to. And so I heard you on the radio today and she said, I don't normally tune into the program, but I just so happened to to hear your interview today. And I pulled my car off to the side of the road with tears in my eyes. 
and um, we responded as quickly as we could. Yes, this is exactly why we we started our our mission. That someone to tell it to, and she said, and we we asked her how, as we do with everyone, how would you like to meet with us? Would you like to meet face to face? We knew she was from Central Pennsylvania because she it's a Central Pennsylvania radio program. We could meet at that point. It was Skype before Zoom. We could talk over the phone, whatever is most comfortable for you. And she said, for right now, I would just like to do email because if I met you, I would want to make you like me. And if I wanted to make you like me, I wouldn't tell the truth. Such a profound statement. So we've now, it's been almost 10 years and we've had an ongoing correspondence with her and it's been through email and private messaging has been her way of processing her story. And I never forget, and we printed this out early on and we put it in a, um, in a file and then we eventually pulled the file and put it into a, a picture frame. But she said to us, if you two are real, and I believe you are, then you're two earth angels sent from God. And this is coming from a non-believer. And then she put in parentheses, sort of. And we'd argue that she's a very, very spiritual person. Uh, we live in a world right now where people, they're searching as, they, as we all have been throughout all of history trying to find answers to, to meaning and purpose and why we're here. And we love to have those types of conversations, but we don't project our perspectives onto other people. We just let people process their own questions and just provide a safe outlet for them to do so. And so here she is, uh, a modern skeptic, uh, having the opportunity to tell her story and to just love on her well, to, to show her that people do care and want to hear her whole story. And so it's been quite a story. She has had, you know, much abuse and loss and loneliness and depression. I mean, she's an alcoholic um, at one point, but she's she's been on the road to recovery. And we'd probably, and I think she would too, make the strong argument is because people have listened to her. Um, prior to that, she had not had a whole lot of people in her life who were willing to hear, hear her and not judge her and not shame her for, for, and she's a smart woman and she knows that there's been things that she's done along the way that she's not proud of, but the last thing she needed was other people who would shame her because what we always make the point, what happens when people shame each other is we go into hiding and hiding is not a good place to be because the, the problems are still there. They just don't get unearthed to provide hope and healing and restoration. She's a great example, probably the greatest example of um, the type of folks who've reached out to us here at Someone to Tell It To. And we're, we're really proud of, of her testimonial. This is what we often do is we give people permission, permission to do what they know is right for them. Most of us don't like to be told what to do. Most of us don't like to have um, solutions imposed on us. Most of us now want to know that we have the ability to figure things out and just need permission to follow our, our, our instincts, to listen to our own hearts, to listen to our own minds, to listen to voices that, the, of encouragement and reassurance and uh, voices that, that give courage. And that's, that's what we try to do. We tell people all the time that we're proud of them.
just as we started doing for one another. We, we do that. We do that for so many people. Often when somebody reaches out to us for the first time, we're right back and say, we're, we're so proud of you for doing this because we know it's hard. We know it is hard to reach out and to be um, vulnerable and risk, risk being judged, being thought of as, as not a good person, being thought of as bad and, and despicable or, or unworthy or whatever it may be. Uh, we're trying to dispel those feelings and help people realize that they are um, uniquely made and yet have so much in common with everyone else. Uh, you know, that we are all combinations of, of things that we, that we, that we share and things that make us, that make us a little different, that make us who we are. And we just give permission to people to be who they are, to be the best versions of themselves, which we believe we all can continue to grow in being that, um, that we, we all have the ability to grow and be, be people who are more loving, people who are more compassionate, people who are more gracious, people who are more generous, people who are more caring, more empathetic, people who are better listeners. And, you know, that's our goal here at Someone to Tell It To, to remind one another that we have those abilities and capabilities and um, have, we believe have been created to be those things, to do those things. And um, the stories we tell, the stories that we remember are, are stories about that. I'm reminded of a quote from Fred Rogers. He would always say, in times of stress, the best thing we can do for one another is listen and know that our questions are just as important as our answers. Mm -hmm. And it is often in asking our questions that we actually can answer them ourselves. Mm. It seems magical, but it, 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 it's simply us helping people find the answers within themselves, the answers they've already probably heard, but just didn't recognize. We often use this word that we're catalyzing this movement along with other listening organizations around the world. We're not the only ones providing list, listening services, but we have a unique way of operating. And you use that word magical, I think is an appropriate word because our next book is coming out this fall. It's tentatively entitled, That's When the Magic Happens. And we talk in the book about this model of ours that someone to tell to where we do listening in pairs. It's something that is unique. As far as we know, there's not other, there's no other counseling services or therapy sessions. Those are all one-on-one -on -one meetings or one-on-two if it's a couple that's meeting with a therapist or counselor, but we, we do all of our listening. So all of our team members are sent out in pairs and there's something powerful that happens when there's four ears are stronger than two ears. So in the days and weeks ahead, you're going to he hear a little bit more about our upcoming book. We're really proud of it. We think it has potential to impact a lot of particularly work cultures. This book, unlike our first two books, is written uh, less for just a, a broad audience, but this is more narrowly focused, geared towards leaders anybody who's in any kind of a leadership role. And that could be a parent, a mentor, a coach, but especially for work cultures, uh, we want to impact as many work cultures and work environments as possible. So we're looking forward to that book coming out this fall. 
we're probably winding down here. You could probably talk all day long, as we say in every episode, as Clark kids us about that uh, every guest, we always say that we could talk forever. Um, you know, that's because we just love conversation and we realize the power of conversation and, and relationships. We, um, we wanted to tell you a little bit about our fall gathering. We have an annual gathering that happens every year. This fall, we are proud of our, our event. It's going to be happening September 26th here in central Pennsylvania. And you can find out more information through our website at someone to tell you.org. But we are going to be having uh, one of our previous guests will be our keynote speaker that evening, that afternoon, Sunday afternoon, John Gordon, who's a leadership expert, who's written many, many best-selling books. We actually just posted in our latest newsletter that he was promoted as having four of the top 15 best-selling leadership books, um, according to this one study that had been been done through the Wall Street Journal, I believe. So um, you don't want to miss this event. It's going to be it's going to be right in line with some of the goals that we've established here at Someone to Tell To for the next year. We just want to impact work cultures in particular. And so it's going to be a good good event if you have employees and teams who, who um, see the value in creating a, a positive work culture, then you don't want to miss it. You know, this will be our ninth annual gathering, and and for each one, we've we've tried to bring in guest speakers. We have brought in guest speakers who speak to relevant topics of the day. You know, about listening, about loneliness, about abuse, about nurturing children. You know, uh, uh, about connecting with other people and finding ways in which to make and help our lives be richer, fuller, more, again, more compassionate, um, just more meaningful. Uh, we, you know, this, this epidemic of loneliness that, that we see, and it's not just we who see it, but it's, it's well documented and studies and books and, and, you know, articles have been done and, and published about the variety of ways in which we as people today, even though we are more technologically connected than ever before in human history, we are in so many ways more emotionally, relationally disconnected than ever before. And that we just don't know how to have meaningful, deeper, richer conversations with one another and therefore meaning more meaningful richer deeper lives with one another uh in, in our own in our own selves and and with those with whom we interact every day um and we're just trying to change that we're trying to help the culture in the united states and all around the world uh be be one in which we support one another we are proud of one another we don't judge one another. But we care for one another and encourage one another. And that's that's what we've been trying to do these last 10 years. And we hope that we can do them for 10, 20, 30 years more and, and beyond, beyond our lifetime, beyond the lifetime of Tom and me. And, um, and we just thank you for being supporters and encouragers, for, for listening to this podcast, these podcasts, for being interested in the work that we do, being interested in, in how 
how this work began, where we started, what we've experienced over this last decade. And we're just, um, we're just so grateful for everyone who has encouraged us, told us that they are proud of us for what we're doing, who has said that what we're doing is so needed in the world. And um, for all of you who, who support that and um, give us the reassurance that we are doing, doing something that's making a difference. So we thank you. So until we listen again. <laughs>